It's footlong season at Subway, and that means making good calls all season long, starting with your game day order, because take it from us when we say that eating too many quesadillas or nine hot dogs in a nine-inning baseball game is a bad call. Do you guys have any bad calls this week? <laughs> Not a lot of fantasy bad calls, but a couple bad eating calls. You never want bad eating calls. This week, why not make a good call instead, like a sweet onion chicken teriyaki, a turkey breast, black forest ham, or a veggie delight footlong from Subway? Remember, the top tier of the footlongs is the sweet onion chicken teriyaki and the turkey breast. But whatever footlong you want, you can sign us up for that deliciousness. And another good call is ordering and paying contact-free in the Subway app for quick pickup or delivery. It is easy. Just tap, tap, boom. Delicious footlong. And today's episode is also brought to you by Heineken. Heineken Original Lager is made with pure malt and their famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. It is the perfect beer to enjoy watching a game, Monday Night Football, the NBA playoffs, MLB postseason, Cornhole and ESPN4, whatever you want. Heineken is the perfect companion. It's light. It's crisp. It's not too much. It's not too little. It's exactly what we want. So pick up a pack or have it delivered today and drink responsibly. the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. I'm Danny Heifetz here with Danny Kelly and Craig Horlbeck and football is back! It's Real back! Football. Holy crap. There's so much happened. What did you guys think? It just feels good to have stuff to actually, like real games to actually talk about. Real stats. Instead of talking about all the things that we think is going to happen, we can finally unpack what actually has happened. So that was really fun. So many things have changed and so many things haven't changed. Mitch Trubisky <laughs> is still Mitch Trubisky. Josh Allen is, is still Josh <laughs> Allen. It's great. This was the most Josh Allen game of all time. Brady being on the Bucks was so weird. It kind of hid how much of, of, of what you're saying, of the other stuff. It's like the more stuff changes and we're in a global pandemic and everything in the world's upside down, but Trubisky is still throwing interceptions and Josh Allen is still like having perfect passing games, but still fumbling upside down and nothing's <laughs> changed at all. It's, it's the NFL is amazing. It's like, it's completely inoculated from like the rest of this universe. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, like, I guess obviously the biggest changes was there's no fans in the stadium. There's no preseason. Like, did you guys notice differences in, in the gameplay? I thought the crowd noise was weird. Did you guys like the fake crowd noise? I, I, Sunday night game was, was low energy. Well, you're literally an audio engineer. What did you make of the fake audio? (laughs) Uh, I I think it's, I don't really like it. I don't think they do that good of a job. I think they need to figure out, I'm okay with like them piping in something that sounds ridiculous. Like play music even, like they do in NBA games. I'm down with that. Yeah, the music works. They tried that. They tried that before, you know. At football games? Like Fox, this was a few years ago. They tried having like, sort of like background music. It was very like dramatic and <laughs> felt like a like a movie like based in medieval times or something. It was really bizarre and people fucking hated it. It was I think they should just do what the NBA did where it's just kind of like general <laughs> like beats, a general hip hop background sound. I think that works. That would be fine. That would be fine. DK, you're a Seahawks fan and the Seahawks have been pumping in fake crowd noise for like years. So what did you Ooh, think? Ha, 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 ha. Good one. Um, DK, that's true. To be honest with you, that's I honestly didn't I did not <laughs> They have not piped in crowd music. Okay, it's not a fact. It's actually the Falcons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Don't you think, didn't you think the Rams-Cowboys game was like weirdly quiet and boring? It's weird enough when all the announcers feel the need to comment on it. And that's how you know it's awkward. I just found myself not noticing it at all. Like honestly, throughout the whole day, I, I got through the whole day without really thinking about the crowd noise. 
I agree. It was only Sunday night. I think it's when you really focus in on one game and you kind of expect like a 30-yard catch to have like a huge upswing. Yeah. Like there's just none of that. But when you're doing like red zone or you're watching like three things flipping back and forth, I don't think you notice it as much. Yeah, that, right. that, the that. real tangible impact is definitely on the players for two reasons. One, there was like a tactical element of the hard counts yesterday were absolutely more effective than I'd ever oh, seen them yeah. on a Sunday. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. two reasons. One is just without the preseason, it's just going from training camp and practices to like, oh, like I'm trying to not jump on a Drew Brees hard count. And that happened in the Bucks game when Vitavea kind of jumped off sides on like the fourth and one where they were going to call the timeout and they yeah. weren't going to go for it and they got him. That happened in so many games. And then also just hearing player like like being for teams being able to hear the their own teammates, like Tom Brady in the Superdome being able to actually use verbiage at the goal line is usually something that would not be in play. I thought Trey Aikman made a really good point about that. But honestly, the tactical stuff isn't the interesting part to me. The interesting part is that the football players all kind of admitted this week, like, we're gladiators. We do this for the crowd. Like, you score a touchdown, the sick part is looking at 70,000 people staring at you. And actually, OJ Howard brought it great. He was like, this is BYOJ. You got to bring your own juice because all, especially the younger players, like we get jazzed up for a crowd. Like we've never played football for not in front of people. You have to manufacture the energy. So maybe the teams with guys with really big personalities are going to have a little bit of an edge this year. That's kind of interesting. I don't think that's the case, honestly, because I think some of the big personality guys are guys that hype themselves up and, and like aren't really shy about it. I think Michael Thomas is actually a good example of like, I don't think Michael Thomas is shy about doing stuff for a crowd. I had no problem getting hyped up in PE without a crowd. So if I can do it. <laughs> We do this podcast. I mean, we actually have fake fans in the audience when we do all these podcasts. We have like thousands of fake people and like people, it, it, it's wild. But no, I actually do think that like the Julio Joneses and people are more interesting to me in a year where it's like, okay, I'll take like quiet veteran guys instead of the young. But I don't know. Anyway. A weird start to an extraordinary season. But at the same time, like you said, I didn't, I honestly didn't notice the fact that there weren't fans. Yeah, it was normal. It was pretty for us. I thought it was a normal day of sports and it was the first yeah. normal day because even basketball and baseball, it's like the pandemic quarantineness of it is tripping over everything because baseball has different rules and basketball. It's like, why am I watching basketball in September? And football is like, this was normal week one. So honestly, yeah. corny, yeah. that was cool. It was just nice to have normal sports for like four or five hours. Uh, <laughs> other stuff, though, I, di I did want to just touch on before we get to some specific stuff. Obviously, there's. Brady on the Bucks and Cam Newton on the Patriots and there's a thousand things to get to, but I did think the quality of the play was just bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that this was the preseason and I think that something that is clear is that this is going to be preseason. Sean Payton said before the season that we're calling this training camp. It's not a training camp atmosphere. They had, what was it, 11 or 14 padded practices? You know, sometimes it's double yeah. that. Yeah. If, uh, just 10, 12 years ago, it was triple that. So, I think there's a couple things worth going through, but the effect of having limited practice time is rotations. I think that we saw more substitutions mm. this week, and that will probably go like probably change as the season, but guys just weren't in shape to play 70 or 80 play football game. So we saw more rotations. And also I thought we just saw simpler offenses. DK, I'm curious what you think about that, because we saw the Chiefs and the Buccaneers be running a lot instead of passing. What did you make of the actual football being played? And do you think things might change as the season goes on and they get more practice time? I mean, I think the Chiefs was the most interesting one because they went from what had been over the last few years with Mahomes, the literally like the pass heaviest team, the most aggressive passing team in the NFL. And then they went, I, I charted it. I didn't chart it, but I looked at the box score. Half, <laughs> half of their early, things. 
Well, I charted the box score. So I went through and counted all. <laughs> okay. I, I went through and counted all the actual like plays in the play by play. I think it was literally exactly half of their early down plays in the first three quarters. So like, you know, you don't count the fourth quarter because that, that sort of changes with game script and everything. But early downs in the first three quarters, they ran the ball on 50% of uh, their plays, which would have been the second highest rate in the NFL last year behind only the Ravens, who are like oh, wait, the really? most, yeah, the most run heavy team. So that that goes from them last year. They were the they they were easily the past heaviest team in those situations. First and second down in the first three quarters. So that was weird. And I think it and and I guess the question now is, you know, is that something that we're gonna see all year? Or is that more just like it's week one? You know, the the, the Texans were playing a specific type of defense where they wanted to keep everything in front. So they just kind of like, you know, death by a, a thousand like Paper cuts, cuts or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I that's that's really interesting to me because Mahomes, number one, he he didn't go deep. I think he only went deep one time, twenty plus yards, which it only happened one other time in his career. I saw that um, from far, sharp football. And then, yeah, I think you know just their their style of play not being super pass heavy. That's something to watch going forward. The Chiefs ran the ball more than they passed, and they never did that one time last year. Yeah. And this, the Buccaneers did a very similar thing in the, the first half of this game. They ran more than they passed. And again, they were, I think, the second or third pass-heaviest team in, on early downs last season. And again, they're going now they're running more than they pass in the first half. And I, I think, so like, why is that? And I think really a lot or most of it's related to the pandemic and just the, the reduced practice time for a few reasons. The complex downfield pass plays are harder to install. Installs like sounds like it's some like computer world computer word it, it, it's they're just you have to practice it until they get the timing perfect and not in a way they get it right but in a way they can't get it wrong that's really hard to do when you only have so many padded practices so i think the deeper problem passer plays when you don't have the timing down are the riskiest ones but then if you do short dump offs and runs you're hoping that the defense has not been practicing tackling very well because the defense doesn't have very much time to practice either and you saw in the chiefs game they're like well we don't need a deep passing when the texans can't tackle especially yeah. those cornerbacks so i think they're like let's just do the safer options with these running plays short screens that are essentially running plays through the air and hope that you know what they can't tackle and we'll get a big play anyway i think that'll change as the season goes on mm -hmm. but deep, big plays don't have to be deep plays in september i think that's one thing i learned yesterday and also just substitutions are going to be something to watch yeah, you know, if you watched Red Zone, like there wasn't a lot of like, now let's go to Minnesota where Adam Thielen just ripped off a 50-yard catch. Like there was not a lot of chunk plays. And without even reading any data or like seeing any tweets, I feel like my general takeaways were like a little bit more running. Plays were just for less yards. Like it was dump offs, like the freaking Rams Cowboys game. It was like oh, eight yeah. yard pass after eight yard pass. It was, it was, it was kind of a boring week one. It like, thank God it was week one because we were excited. The excitement of the games wasn't really there for me. Really? Yeah. It was almost like college football in a way where it's like college football. They start with these cupcake cream, cream pie schedules early on and they sub people and rotate people in. It was like that, but it wasn't cupcake games because they had no preseason. So it was like a mix of preseason college football to me early with, just people being thrown into the fire. But so I, I think that that's to me, that's the caveat for this whole conversation is I think that an interesting part of with trades or player acquisitions, whatever you're doing in your league, just keeping in mind that what we're seeing now is not necessarily going to be keeping going and just keeping these themes. So with that said, Tom Brady's on the bucks. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> 
that was like a, the most surreal moment was was when that game started in the afternoon and and seeing Brady and he had a couple like really nice passes early on and like when they did their scripted stuff I think they looked really good but the first drive looked great dude the first drive I was like holy cow what if they're just twice as good as last year yeah. what if they're <laughs> the offense is just as good and they don't turn the ball over because also he spiked that ball when Brady ran the ball in. I was like, wow, what an amazing way for him to begin. And he Gronk spiked it in a way that even Gronk has never done. It went straight back up into the air. I think that <laughs> thing went 100 feet. And my first thought was, wow, Satisfying. he's deflating the footballs. I've always, oh. I've always had secondhand anxiety for people spiking the ball because I don't want it to come back up and hit him in the face. Or the nuts. Yeah. That never happened to you? <laughs> All right, I'm not going to tell that story. But uh, you can imagine. But yeah, no. And then they came back. Because he was also ripping the ball in the first drive. And then he just lost the accuracy. The Bucs were sloppy. I thought the Bucs looked like preseason. I mean, they looked like a team who led the league in penalties and then added a 43-year-old quarterback. Yeah, they just seemed like they had a lot of miscommunications. They just like weren't on the same page. It was just like breaking off a lot of rust. That was the thing is like, I actually didn't, I didn't think Brady looked as bad as people are sort of making it out to sound. You know, he did have a pick six, which is not a great, you know, not a great thing. And that's kind of like <laughs> brings up the Jameis jokes. But um it just to me, they just look like a team that had has had fourteen padded practices together. You know, there was a couple of instances where Brady was like on a different page with um, with his receivers. I think they'll clean that up eventually. Is off a very good defense that they were playing, and so to be honest with you, I, I'm not panicking too much about Brady. And I, honestly, like fact of the matter is, he had 24 and a half points. He was a QB eight. Through, and we are now we are recording Monday afternoon, so we haven't had uh, the Monday night football games. There's two this this year or this week, but so I can just one more time just reiterate that the Giants Joe Judge will have an ESPN custom graphic tonight. <laughs> just put all your money on that. Yeah, and the other thing about Brady that I thought was you know interesting and that could have made his day from a fantasy point of view even better is he had probably like a hundred at least a hundred yards wiped out on DPI um you know he had one big play down the sideline that I think yes. Mike Evans got DPI and then another one to Scotty Miller who got you know held or whatever one hand held that would have been a big play so I mean at the end of the day yeah he had two turnovers and and in fact Bruce Arians is kind of like publicly calling him out on that so that's an interesting like variable but from a fantasy point of view his day wasn't that bad. QB8 through Sunday Night Football could have been even better. So that's against a really good defense. So I don't know. What do you make of Mike Evans? Because Mike Evans was almost not going to play in this game and then ended up playing like the whole game. He had a hamstring injury, did nothing. So and on one hand, healthy Mike Evans has also been shut up by Marcus Lattimore, who's the yeah. Saints' otherworldly cornerback. He had basically did nothing. He caught a garbage time touchdown that otherwise he wouldn't have had a catch. Are you worried about him? Or is he just one of the thousand people of hamstring pulls this year? I don't think I'm worried about Mike Evans as like a player or his hamstring or anything like that. Uh, the only thing I'm worried about is that Tom Brady hates him. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that pick, you know, the pick he threw over the middle of the field, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure when uh, he threw it, I heard him go, He Brady yelled something like, oh, Mike, get, like, get vertical or something. You know, he yelled something at him because um, initially Arian said that the, the pass was on... Um, it was just a bad pass on Brady. But then I think this morning, Arians came out and said, actually, he looked at the tape and it was Mike Evans' fault. So I was going to um, say, I thought Arians was lying when he said that. Whoever was announcing the game was like, oh, Mike Evans kind of hesitated and it looked like it was like an option or like he yeah. was supposed to go deep, but he actually kind of pulled up a little bit and then Brady threw it as if he was going to go deep. And it actually I'm, reminded me of Reggie Wayne in the Super Bowl when Peyton Manning threw that ball that the Saints picked sixth and took it to the house and it was just Reggie Wayne just stopped running the route. 
you add that with like Mike Evans getting chippy with Lattimore and just like screwing up a couple times. I think he dropped a pass. I don't know, man. The Brady right. doghouse. It's, you get quick. You're in there quick. Scotty yeah. Miller. <laughs> that is good for Scotty Miller. I will say just from a football point of view really quick, because I think that's a perfect illustration of what you were talking about, Danny, before, where passing games are so intricate. It's a, it's a perfect example of what's, an, what's called a site adjustment by receivers, which is receivers routes are receiver will alter his route based on what uh, coverage the defense is playing. And you have to be on the exact same page and be on the exact same timing with your quarterback. It's like, it all happens extraordinarily fast against a defense that's all moving around. And that's like a perfect example why NFL passing games is so fucking difficult, so intricate. So anyways, that's just a good example from a football nerdery point of view. No, it's true. It's like you see in week one, the 60 yard touchdown pass to like deep receiver X. And you're like, oh, how'd they do that? It's like, well, they worked on that for seven months is how they did that. (laughs) And they waited for a specific moment to try it. So it's hard. And on that note, again, the number one thing lost in this is I think the Saints are the best team in football. I think it's well, at least the top tier Chiefs, Saints, Ravens, put them in however you want. Yeah, I, I think they're just as good as the Chiefs. Put them in whatever tier you want. But the point being they're next week, they're playing the Panthers who have maybe the league's worst defense, definitely the league's youngest defense. So the bounce back doesn't have to be a month from now. It could literally happen in six days. So keep that in mind. Uh, Other one I want to talk about, just the Patriots. Cam Newton running read option plays on third and five or third and six on like the first or second drive. It was, I'm for, I remember, like I, I grew up rooting for the Giants and I remember the first Daniel Jones start, just seeing a quarterback that looks like Eli Manning, but fast blew my mind and I'm sure for Patriots fans who've been watching Tom Brady who is as close to a statue as there's been since Joe Montana himself that seeing Cam Newton run a design play in third and six must have been mind-blowing I saw I saw and I don't have it in front of me I'm trying to find it but I'm not going to find it there it was like the most rushing yards by a Patriots quarterback since like the 70s (laughs) what Cam did today or what Cam did on Sunday it's pretty great Um, I think it's going to be a really fun offense to watch just because it's going to be unique in the way that they, you know, they're going to be really run heavy. I think they're going to use Cam. I mean, clearly they're going to use Cam as a rusher a lot. Um, makes him very, very fantasy relevant, which is exactly what we kind of thought would happen just because he has that upside as a rusher. Um, yeah, it, it makes the Patriots infinitely more interesting to me, especially from a fantasy point of view. Um, maybe not so much the receivers, but certainly Cam Newton. Well, the annoying thing, though, is he clearly had a hamstring injury. And he's denied this, and I rarely do this, but I don't care. Like, he clearly left the... Like, walking off the field was grabbing his hamstring and limping. And then after the game, was like, no, I'm good. And then they asked him again. I think this is Monday morning they asked him. And he's like, basically like, well, we won, so I'm not hurt anymore. Which (laughs) I believe what he said. And so the Patriots beat reporters are basically like, I, I mean, please ignore what he said. Like, he clearly has a hamstring strain. I feel like everyone has a hamstring strain in this limited run-up. So are you worried about this? Because I hate falling into cliches, but the cliche of like, they're going to use him as a more of a running, not a running quarterback, but they're not afraid to let him be design runs. And he's already banged up in week one. Is like the most classic conversation about using your quarterback as a rush. So like, are you trying to trade away Cam Newton because the week one buzz, or are you trying to trade for him? Cause you think he could be like a top three guy. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't trade him away quite yet. I think you get such good. You've gotten such good value. You're gonna if you if you have him, you you probably got him late, 
And I think he has the chance to be like a, you know, mid-range QB1 potentially. But the the hamstring injury is a concern. You know, it's something to kind of watch. You might have to stream next week. They're going up against Seattle next week who has, you know, number one, they've got a lot of experience against read option quarterbacks. Uh, they have a really good linebacker core and a really good safety core. So that's that's going to be kind of a fun little matchup between those two teams. I don't know if Cam will run quite as much next week. All right, want to get into the top scores? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so these are these are players. We're just gonna we're just gonna call them the remarkables. I feel like remarkable has become <laughs> like this weird word where remarkable is a comment. I feel like remarkable literally just means it's worthy of remarking. Yeah, and we work at the ringer, and you know, remarkables, rewatchables, anything that sounds like that. We're into the we're remarkables. Into players we'd like to remark on. Uh, <laughs> the top scores. Uh, we're just run through the top scores each position. We'll run through the remarkables. Quarterback. The top score this week was. Chagai, DK, Russell Wilson. Number two Scorched is Aaron Rodgers. Number three is Joshy Allen. I mean, do you want to take a victory lap on Russell real quick? <laughs> I don't want to take a victory lap. I just hope they keep this up, man. Like, they let him cook. Legitimately, unabashedly let him cook. They well, ran. DK, I want to ask you, is was this just like he was extra efficient today? Or was it and got lucky on a couple deep balls or a couple touchdowns, or was it a difference in offensive play calling? No, it was it was a sea change in their schematic philosophy. Like legitimately, they ran they they ran the or sorry they passed the ball on early downs like sixty eight. I think I did I did the math because I'm writing about this in my column. Sixty eight percent of the time on first and second down in the first three quarters, which again would have been first in the NFL last year, and it would have been more than the Chiefs. Uh, Russell Wilson spent the entire offseason kind of like lobbying to the fans and lobbying to Pete Carroll to kind of like take the restrictor plate off, let him go, you know, let him play loose earlier in games. Because like like the the Seahawks thing is they play really slow and and keep everything close to the vest the first three quarters. And then it's like close the whole game. And then they like make Russell Wilson win the game for him in the fourth quarter. This year, this, this game, they let him loose in the first quarter the first half, the first three quarters. And he did exactly what we all thought he would do, which he just went scorched earth. He was like 31 of 35. Unbelievable. He had as many incompletions as touchdowns. Yeah, he had 89% of his passes completed. Like, he just went off. And anyways, the bottom line is hopefully this keeps up. If if it does keep up, if they let him keep doing this, he's he has overall QB1 potential. So obviously. I actually have a, I have a hot take about this and Aaron Rodgers and... I actually believe it. Uh, I think that the Russ and the Rodgers game, obviously they're both really good. I'm not talking about their talent level, but in terms of whether Rodgers and Russ will keep doing this and specifically whether the teams want them to keep airing it out, I think it says less about them than it does their opponents. Both the Vikings and the cornerbacks are basically the same defense in that not for this week, neither of them had a pass rush and both were using their top two or three cornerbacks are both like 22 or 23. The Vikings had like, their top three cornerbacks had a combined nine career starts. They're both 22 or 23. And then yeah. the Vikings didn't have their top two defensive end. Well, they had Daniel Hunter was out and then Yannick Ngakwe just showed up like six days ago. So he wasn't really playing all the snaps. So I think that when you don't have a pass rush to get Aaron Rodgers, who was the number two quarterback this week, and then he's going against 22-year-old cornerbacks making their first start on like a third rounder who's playing at Mississippi straight, you're going to get shredded by Aaron Rodgers. He did the same thing to the Raiders last year. Five touchdowns, no picks. He didn't go over, he had 450 yards or something. He didn't go over 350 the rest of the season. He, he went over 250 twice the rest of the year. I think Russell Wilson is the same thing. The Falcons have, I believe, all their quarterbacks or, or the ones that are playing are all like 23 or younger. What mm-hmm. were you guys doing when you were 23? Not guarding, <laughs> you know what I mean? You weren't guarding D, DK Metcalf. So right. I think that the Falcons corner, like... I, 
I'm not convinced the Seahawks are going to keep doing this. I'm not convinced the Packers are going to keep doing this. I don't, I'm actually in the same boat as you. That's why I said I really hope they do. I'm not convinced, like, I'm not fully convinced yet. I think it'll be, you know, obviously next week is going to be a stark contrast. You're going up against the Patriots secondary, which is really, really good. So, um, could see us, could see a very different game plan next week. The other, the other people just want to note here Josh Allen, third quarterback. <laughs> this was, this was a modern art masterpiece. This was a, <laughs> this game, the first half of this Bills game was a, a, like a shit sandwich. He fumbled on the first drive the Bills had in the first half, and he fumbled on the last drive the Bills had in the first half. And in between were like three twenty, like like three touchdown drives, like like just prime roast beef sandwich. And the two fumbles he had, I swear to God, I've never seen before. He was upside down on one, and the other one he was like lateral in the. Josh Allen fumbles in a way that's like innovative. He's like the Steve Jobs of fumbling. I've never seen it before. And the fact that yeah. he's the biggest reason by far they won by 10 and also the biggest reason by far they didn't win by 24 is like they're the most mesmerizing team. He's the perfect red zone quarterback like to watch the channel because when it's like, here, well, let's see what Josh Allen did. You never know what he did. And now that we have Trubisky, I feel the same way about Trubisky, except Trubisky's just worse. What do you mean now that we have Trubisky? Well, he's back. Well, he's not back, <laughs> but he's back. Well, the Trubisky thing. Here's the thing with Trubisky. I have two. This means here. nothing that Trubisky had one good deep throw to save a game. This means literally nothing. This just sucks because now they have to start him for another week. The next two <laughs> games are the Giants and the Falcons. So I actually think Trubisky, who is the like the seventh best quarterback fantasy-wise, because don't watch him play. Like, don't watch him. Just check the numbers after. Because here's why. Trubisky had 240 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. I propose a rule. It's called the Mitchell Trubisky rule. If you throw a pass that hits a defender in the chest and they don't catch it, you still get credited with an interception because the fact that Mitchell Trubisky had technically no interceptions is literally true, but spiritually false. The amount of balls that just hit defenders in the hands, the chest, the face, the fact that you can like, oh, wow, he didn't throw a pick is mind numbing. He's like so accurate that corners would never even expect that the ball could possibly yes. be where the ball is. They <laughs> drop it out of shock. Such it's uncatchable like passes. Uh, wait a minute. Going back to Josh Allen, I feel like it's notable that this was his best game as passer probably ever. Like 33 of 46, 312 yards, two touchdowns. It's kind of a positive. That's a he positive. was unreal through the air and he had a career high in carries. So he's like the ultimate fantasy quarterback. Yeah. Also, he literally had the worst throw of the day. John <laughs> yeah, Brown was, you all three of us <laughs> oh, yeah, could have made that, that throw amazing. to John Brown in the corner of the end zone. And he sailed it into the fanless stands. The amazing part is, you're right, DK. It was definitely his best day as a passer in the NFL. And yet, the, at the end of the game, Sean McDermott was like, we can't turn the ball over like that and win football games. It's unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the thing. I mean, the Jets, the but it's Jets true. It's kind of hung around. I mean, they, did, they weren't ever really like in the game, but they hung around. They had that one Crowder long touchdown that made it seem like they yeah. were in it. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to throw all that out there. I just... <sighs> That's fair. I'm, you know what? They're good for content. They're good for fantasy, believe it or not. Yeah. If, yeah. if we look at the top three scoring running backs, it went pretty chalky. Josh Jacobs, RB1 against the Panthers, who suck on defense. McCaffrey, number two, and Zeke, number three. Pretty chalk for the top three. Yeah. Yeah. Jake, do you have any thoughts on uh, any of those three dudes? Jacobs was the most interesting one easily because, you know, obviously, we talked about it all offseason. Is he going to be a part of the passing game? He ended up getting six targets, which was second on the team. I think that's really really encouraging for, you know, his viability as like a top tier running back the rest of the season. He had 25 carries, 93 yards, three touchdowns. We know that he's going to get 
sort of the early down and the goal line work in this offense. But the question was, is he going to be involved in the passing game? And it was a very promising like early indicator. So going forward, though, you know, I think you have to temper your expectations a little bit. He's going to face three really tough defenses, the Saints, Patriots, and Bills the next three weeks. So yeah. we're not going to see Josh Jacobs likely at the top of the standings every week, the next three weeks particularly. Um, but again, the 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 good sign was that he had six targets, four catches, 46 yards. And, you know, that's like a, that's a huge part of whether he's going to be a top tier guy. If he can stay in games when they're, ha- when they have negative game script, when they're playing from behind, that's going to be huge for his fantasy value. All right, DK. So, is Josh Jacobs a sell high? Would you shop him for Miles Sanders or Kenyon Drake? I don't know if I would. You know, I don't know. Like honestly, would not shop him for Kenyon Drake. My no, God. Not, especially not Drake. But like, you know, Miles Sanders is hurt. Like it's one. It's like one of those things. It's like you know, week one is insane, man. Week one is poison to all of our brains. Like it's like we, we grass is always greener. We have thrown yeah. out everything we did all off season. Literally everything because he got six targets against the Panthers, <laughs> and now we're like, well, I don't know. He might be a top six option. That's the that is like the eternal battle you have to go through. Like in every season, it's like, man, I got this guy now. But like it, it's it's you know two in hand versus one in the bush or whatever. It's like. You're gonna get you're gonna trade him for Miles Sanders, who might sit out the next couple of weeks with a hamstring injury, might get hurt again with his hamstring. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, God. It's a tough. great rule of thumb is don't have injured players in your team. And I know that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> like you can't do anything but the ones who are hurt, but don't add injured players. Like right. the ones who are have picked up injuries to me, honestly, I'm very concerned about a lot of them. Like Sanders, Michael Thomas sprained his ankle. We'll get to that in a second, but not not thrilled with all these injuries. Something I will well, speaking of the injuries, though, one of the big ones is Marlon Mack towards Achilles. He's out mm-hmm. for the season. And Naheem Hines, our guy. Yeah. Danny Woodhead 2.0. As we all expected. And we predicted. On, not really. I'm kidding. But he was the first person to score a touchdown of the season, which I wish we had put money on. We, we <laughs> oh my God, could have like, been, been doing this podcast from a yacht. But yeah, he had 15 touches for like 70 yards, a couple touchdowns. He's Danny Woodhead. And this is absolutely he's Eckler. He's like potentially Eckler, man. Well, Dan. Well, they showed him tape of Danny Woodhead before the season, and Woodhead, believe it or not, in 2015. Uh, this is crazy. If it weren't written down, I wouldn't believe it. Danny Woodhead was the third running back in, in PPR in 2015. I love which that. I've double checked four times because I just don't think that's true. But it's true, and he's Danny Woodhead, so he doesn't have to be the top three running back to be. I think he's clearly the number one waiver pick you want this week. He's yeah. And he's he's benefiting from not just the Mac injury, obviously, but this is what you had talked about before the season. Danny is, you know. Uh, Philip Rivers is just notorious for for targeting his running backs in the passing game, and that absolutely carried over. You know, obviously from uh, the Chargers to the Colts this week. As a contrast, this is crazy. I saw this from per, per Ad, uh, Adam Leviton. Tara Taylor targeted his running backs on three percent of his throws on Sunday. Philip Rivers on thirty seven percent of his throws. So like. It's just it. This should be like a quarterback stat that we all track because it's so so important, especially in PPR leagues, half PPR leagues. Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor, rookie Jonathan Taylor, um, both were a huge part of this passing game for the Colts, and that's like fantasy gold potentially. And you know who um, would have yeah. caught a touchdown if Philip Rivers had actually thrown the ball on target? Who's that? Jack Jack Doyle. <laughs> Damn it! Oh yeah, I remember him. <laughs> Look, man. Hey. <laughs> He's a solid game. He got red zone targets. It was great. But sticking with running backs, though, not tight ends for right now, just the running back situation just seemed to, a lot just seemed to change. And Jonathan Taylor is obviously now a much bigger presence in the Colts with Marlon Mack mm-hmm. out. But Cam Akers was considered to be the starting running back for the Rams, or at least would earn it quickly. Malcolm Brown 
had two touchdowns in Sunday Night Football. He was like a top five running back this week. Yep. DeAndre Swift was, I mean, poor DeAndre Swift. If you didn't that see him drop the game winning touchdown, that was right in his hands, uncovered. That was the saddest. That was some that was some middle school football stuff. That was brutal. So, and then Clyde Edwards Lair was was he the only running back this week to go over hundred yards? He was. Yeah. That's not wild. a single rusher yesterday. So shout out to Craig for your prediction on Friday or last week about the rookie running backs, except Clyde Edwards Lair. So DK, what do we make of these rookie things? Is this like the the limited practice time? They're going to be eased into the roles, or are you concerned about Malcolm Brown outplaying Cam Akers and everything that happened? I mean, the Acres one, I think, was the most concerning. And I actually would sort of like push back on Craig. Like, I don't think that the rookie running backs disappointed. Like Clyde Edwards Lair went over 100 yards. He had a really good game. No, well, yeah, but we excluded him. He wasn't a part of the, the game. Okay, but Jonathan Taylor, he had nine carries for 22 yards. That's very nondescript. Six catches <laughs> for 67 yards in the passing that game. That is impressive. He currently leads all rookies in receiving, including receivers. The question about Taylor was the receiving, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a big question. Like they had, he had a bunch of drops. You know, he wasn't a huge part of the passing game in, in college. And so there was a lot of questions about it, but he looked great in the passing game. Um, you know, he looked good in the open field. I think he registered like 21 plus miles an hour on one screenplay. So I think Taylor, especially now with Mac out, like Taylor is going to be a legit fantasy factor. I was not disappointed at all in what he did. Um, the O line for the Colts was really banged up this week. So that's probably a big reason why he didn't have, he didn't get much going on the ground, but yeah, Cam getting back to Cam makers. He definitely did not look ready. And you know, the lack of preseason lack of reps certainly looked like it just looked like he was pressing too much as a runner. And so um, they ended up going, he did get 14 carries, only turned it into 39 yards. Uh, Malcolm Brown looked far more effective in that running game. So Malcolm Brown looked better than he had yeah. in years past. Yeah, yeah, he looked good. He looked legitimately good. So the Acres thing is is definitely concerning. I still think he's going to get a big role in that offense. I mean, he had, a, he had 14 carries, so that was only a few fewer than... Um, than Malcolm Brown got. So he's still going to be a big part of it, but he's definitely got a ways to go before he's going to kind of like take hold of that offense. I think Swift obviously would have had a much more impressive day if he would have caught that game-winning touchdown. It would be a completely different narrative if he had oh caught God. that. It would have been a second touchdown. He would have caught the game-winning play. It would have been on a vertical route. Like there's so many things we'd be talking about how stoked we were on DeAndre Swift had he caught that ball. Obviously he missed it, but to me, his hands are not a problem. He didn't He didn't drop any well, passes last year at Georgia. Well, that was just see, I don't know. I, don't know what I think the hands here. were the problem. <laughs> This, I mean, is like, the feet. Well, this is the opposite of saying uh, Aaron Jones isn't going to be good this year because he was too good last year. So so DeAndre Swift fucked up and we're like, well, if he didn't fuck up, he would have been good. I'm saying the narrative the narratives changed because he had one mistake. It doesn't make me less confident in him as a player in the NFL. I think he's going to be fine. I don't think he's going to drop every pass that goes to him at this point. Um, <laughs> so anyways, my what point a, what is a nuanced, the narrative analysis. You're not going to call him mentally weak and terrible now? <laughs> what about how do we feel about Adrian Peterson almost getting 100 yards on the Lions? Dude, that dude is just ageless, man. He's never going to go away. So, if you had to pick up someone, DK, if you have Marlon Mack or you, you need a running back, would you rather have Naheem Hines, who's going to be Danny Woodhead, or would you rather have Malcolm Brown? Who are you adding mm. first? They were like third and fourth or fourth and fifth this week in fantasy points. Mm, that's really tight. That's, that's, that's a close call. I'd say Hines, I guess, just because I think it's Hines too. Yeah. Because obviously, I, in a PPR, he's a lot more valuable. Than I'm always partial PPR. to the receiving guys because it's like the zero RB strategy. You know, they're anti-fragile. No, what? Naeem Hines is always going to be there. Malcolm Brown. He's I don't got know. a good floor. Yeah. The other guy that I want to mention, J.K. Dobbins had two touchdowns. All the like everyone except for Acres essentially had a pretty solid week one. So I would push back on that. He had seven carries. 
two goal touchdowns. line, like one He's yard fine. punch. If in. you started him, you did fine. Yeah. All right. I'm going to point to DK because Craig, if Craig was arguing for someone that had two touchdowns, he would not be washing away two touchdowns. There's zero chance he would just be like, oh, yeah, yeah. He had a, he had a, I, I can't see who you're pointing to on Zoom. I'm give, no, I'm giving a point. I'm awarding DK a point oh. for winning the the, the argument. Uh, like okay. DK won. I think you're right, DK. Well, DK also pointed out that Cam Akers is going to outscore Aaron Jones this year. We still feel good about that? No, I don't feel good about that. Anymore, <laughs> but you know, it's early. It's early. Yeah, hey, I will say. I will say. I thought the Rams' offense looked pretty good, though. Like Bobby Trees. Overall, I thought they did like a pretty good job of moving the football. Jared Goff was fine. Um, the running game was good with Malcolm Brown. I'm definitely like worried about Acres. Like that was my bold prediction. Um, he's definitely. It doesn't seem like he's going to get there, but it's pretty early. We'll see how it goes. Sorry, it's a bold prediction. Get to yeah. re- uh, top scorers for receivers. Devonte Adams is number one. He was great. Calvin Ridley was the second, and then Adam Thielen was the third highest scoring receiver of the week. Yeah. Uh, any remarkables from receiving this week? You want to talk about? I think we got to bring up quickly Sammy Watkins once again. Had do a good we? Week one. Do we? Yes, we do. I don't yeah, want to. Quickly, let's quickly digest this because he had seven catches for eight. He gives me indigestion. I don't want to talk about Sammy Watkins. I know, but we got to, man. Like He's okay, the week so one king. Going back to last year, the 2019 opener, he had, a, he had 11 targets, nine catches, 198 yards, and three touchdowns. Everyone was like, this guy is going to shred the entire season. <laughs> The rest of the year, he only had 43 catches for 475 yards and zero touchdowns. Wait, he had 200 in week one and 475 the next 16 games? Yes, yeah, the next 15 games, yes. I want to oh couch God. that, though, by saying he actually had a pretty damn good playoff run. In their three games, he had 18 targets, 14 catches, 288 yards, and a touchdown. So I guess my question to you guys is, what the fuck do we do with this guy? Like, we have to pick him up off waivers, right? Yep, you do. That's what sucks, is you do. Yeah, you gotta be. Like, like <sighs> the best offense have, in the you NFL. You have to add him, and yeah. he's on the Chiefs, and McCole Hardman had, like, one target, and you know yeah. what? You might have to start Sammy Watkins. That's the thing. How many like, times did you get on the same nor- ride and throw up until you're like, <laughs> I don't want to ride the ride anymore? Yeah. Is this why it's people tough. didn't want Will Fuller? No, Will Fuller's good. Will Fuller's great. Sammy Watkins is... the Sammy Watkins, the amount of... Pe- the, is there ever been a fantasy football player who has been started and gave a sub five point performance in the history of fantasy football in Sammy Watkins. Back in the day, it was Miles Austin. <laughs> <laughs> that was like two years. Sammy Watkins is going on six years in the NFL. He's been good for like two, one and a half. We should have like a we should have like a segment where we do like ridiculous week one overthinking like comparisons where it's like week two, who would you start? DJ Moore or Sammy Watkins? I'd like to <laughs> underthink. I'd like to underthink. My thinking is. He's broken. I just, I can't. I'm too, I'm scarred. I'm triggered. Sammy Watkins. You're going to let someone me. else deal with it, I think is the deal. Okay. Would you rather have Sammy Watkins or would you rather have Naheem Hines? <laughs> would you rather have Sammy Watkins or Odell Beckham? Oh my God. Let's get into that. All right. Yeah. Let's unpack that. The Browns suck. <laughs> and o- Odell sucks too, man. I'm sick of Odell. He's not a fun fantasy player to have on your team. I don't like his body language. He he's always seems unhappy, no matter what. He got 10 targets. Like, he caught... Yeah, him and Baker are going to fight at some point. They don't like. like each other. Baker's... By the way, for Baker, you, there's a level of skill at which you can no longer be in commercials, and Baker's reached it. <laughs> Yank this dude from Hulu. You know what's right? bad when that deep fake Hulu commercial, which, by the way, that is the end of reality as we know it, but literally in the Hulu commercial, they're like, oh, yeah, you said I was doing too many commercials. It's like, yeah, you are... Odell had three catches. He had a couple like, you know, pass interference calls. He's he had got like, one drop. 
Yeah, he had a bad least. drop. He's got no connection with Baker, it seems like. Bad body language. The Browns are terrible. You're going to have to keep starting him because he's Odell, and he'll make... Every time he catches the ball, it's flashy and looks cool. Like, every time he catches it, you're like, wow, this guy's talented. But I don't know. It seems more and more unlikely for him to put together a really good game. Like, it used to be Julio and Odell. Like, there was a time two years was, ago when it yeah. was like, Julio and Odell are the two best receivers in the league. And in my head, what it would take for for Odell to have what Julio did yesterday, like nine catches, 157, feels impossible. This is the same thing to me as the Bucks. It's like the Ravens are one of the three best teams in football, and they also probably have the best secondary in football. Marlon Humphrey is one of the best five cornerbacks in football. Like, th their secondary is absurdly deep. Like, this was a really hard game for the Browns to play, and Odell probably won't have a worse matchup, especially going into week one with all the stuff. The Ravens barely swapped out any players except they made massive upgrades. This was a really tough game for them. I I'm not willing to just write off the Browns offense yet. I don't think they're going to be as exciting as people thought. But at the same time, their schedule gets way easier from here on out. So, this, yeah, this is like the perfect litmus test for whether we should panic after week one. Because like Danny said, that was a really tough matchup. It's not ideal to have a new head coach and two new starting tackles going into a game with a new right. system. But the next games are against the Bengals, Washington, the Cowboys, Colts. Like the Steelers is a really hard matchup. You watch the Bengals. That game's going to come down to the wire. They're going to lose to the Bengals. The Bengals are, are just frisky. locking it in right now. Joe Burrow's already better than Baker. <laughs> I love it. All right. I love well, I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't panic on Baker on Odell yet. So, any other receivers you guys want to remark on? Any other remarkables? No. Let's move to tight end. All right, tight end. Mark Andrews was the number one tight end of the week. Dallas Goddard was number two. T.J. Hawkinson was three. What do, you, what do you make of that, DK? What are your remarks? It, one, of, one of the things that just looking at that top three that I think is very interesting is like this reads like the, a preview for the next generation of great fantasy tight ends. Really Andrews, does. Goddard, and Hawkinson. Goddard yeah. was awesome. He looked great. Yeah. And Hawkinson, I mean, you know, he's still developing, but that was obviously a very promising start to his uh, to his season. He, he was very quiet after his week one outburst last year. Um, and Andrews legitimately could catch 20 touchdowns this year. Like, well, he is wild absurd. I will say, Craig was like the worst throw of the day was the Josh Allen missing John Brown. <laughs> You're going to say Lamar's Candidate. throw. Lamar Jackson's touchdown pass to Mark Andrews. Wasn't Mark great. Andrews was perhaps the most open I've ever seen someone under the goalposts. And Lamar almost missed him for no threw, reason. Like he threw a laser at him and it was like yeah. really high, really off target. Uh, Andrews went up and got with one hand. Um so looking at last year, Andrews was the tight end for you, 10 touchdowns, and he only played 41% of their snaps last year with a fullish snap load. And I, I, he did play a good amount of snaps. I don't know the exact number in front of me, but he, he, was, he got pulled out like they, they pulled starters. I think he played on like quarter. 70% of snaps. I'll forgive you for not knowing the exact number. Well, the point is he played a full load of snaps. I'm, I'm, this guy is legit. The whole offense works towards like funneling targets to the, to the tight ends. He's a really good player. Um, he's like the new Gronk in terms of, he's not the same player as Gronk because he's not the blocker that Gronk is, but he's the same kind of guy in terms of his red zone prowess, I think. Like he could he could potentially have, he, he to me, he's like a, a lock almost for like 10 plus touchdowns, but um, I mean, he could just go off. So I'm really excited about Andrews. I wish I had him on more of my teams. <laughs> it's kind of sad. No, I, I don't because I don't mind it because I think that even though he might join the, the Kittle-Kelsey tier this year, I just think it's more valuable. The Goddard and Hawkinson getting those guys who might be nearly as good after like the hundredth pick or spending like a dollar on them. And that's ultimately going to be the play this year. And I think that the best teams are going to be the ones that got one or two of those tight ends for nothing. But right. yeah, Hawkinson looks great. 
but yeah, no, the, the tight end. Also, weird year we for do have to point out that Hawkinson did play in a game without Kenny Galladay, but yeah, that's true. You know what, man? You just play the people in front of you. You know what? You just, you know, we just, <laughs> we just, we, we don't worry about them. You know, Hawkinson doing... had a great week one last year, remember? Yep, that's true. The most underrated part of fantasy is the woulda, coulda, shoulda, in my humble opinion. Just like the things that you're thinking about at the end of the day, where you're like, God damn it. I wish well, so that, much like Swift would have caught that pass. That would have been so so awesome. Yeah. The things that don't make the box score that you're just so just a couple notes is AJ Green. Dickie, you want to run through the AJ Green debacle where he should have had what one or two touchdowns? <laughs> like four. I mean, I, got OPI. I, I mean, he should have won the game and he got called for OPI, which yeah. was yeah. ticky tack call. That's not a situation refs usually call OPI. Same with the Gallup thing at the end of the Rams game. Yeah, like talk about narrative changing. Like, you know, talking about the Swift thing changing the narrative. Like, think about the narratives we have right now if they would have allowed that A.J. Green touchdown. Like, Burrow's Burrow legend grows. Yeah. Like, you, you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, God, those plays just stick with you. Anyways, A.J. Green had a good game. Um, he should have had a much better game. And, you know, there was one play late in the game. I can't remember exactly when it was when Burrow just like straight up overthrew him by about like three feet. Um, he was wide open all by himself streaking into the end zone. Burrow overthrew him. Actually, I love it. Burrow after the game was like, that's a play a high school quarterback has to, like, can make. I, I He need gave to himself a D. Hell yeah. yeah. Great. Um, and then obviously the, the, the game ending sequence where AJ Green got called for OPI was really ticky-tack in my opinion. It probably should have counted. Um, yeah, so I think AJ Green is a lot more interesting to me. And this is a guy that's coming off, you know, preseason basically didn't have any practices in the preseason. I had like one practice and he's coming off a hamstring injury. He looked practice? pretty good. Talking about practice, but he, he only had like, he legitimately had no time to prepare and he still looked pretty solid against a good secondary. So, um, I think green is green is definitely growing on me as like a guy who could outplay expectations a lot this year. The other would have, could have, should have was, I mean, we talked about this. DeAndre Swift's dropping the touchdown. That's a career-defining thing. Like, that is, Ugh, Lions yeah. fans will now always think of him as either he's, that is his starting point. The rest of his career is where he goes from there. That's like, so I feel bad for the man. Mm. There are other ones, but we want you to email us your bad beats because, you know, people say no one cares about your team. People love to care about your team when you lose in a funny way. <laughs> so if you have a bad beat, like you ended up losing because of DeAndre Swift or whatever, after these Monday night games lock in, shoot us an email with your bad beats. Please include a screenshot. Not that we don't trust you, but include a screenshot. And yeah, we'll go through the bad beats on Wednesday show. What it could have shit us. Let us know. All right. We're going to get into waivers and who you sh everyone should pick up this week. But first, the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Is proud to be presented by FanDuel Fantasy. Fantasy sports are finally back. Basketball playoffs, hockey playoffs, baseball, golf, cornhole, whatever floats your boat. And football is here. I mean, we're pretty jazzed. We're jazzed. In the words of beloved colleague Kevin O'Connor, we are pumped and jacked that football is back. Even if you've never played FanDuel Fantasy before, that's great because FanDuel is offering users the chance to play free this NFL season. No deposit required. So just sign up and FanDuel will give you a free entry to a contest each week, each week of the football season where you can win real prizes. Plus, for the folks who want to deposit, FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with FanDuel's 20% deposit match. It's an easy-to-use app. You can pick a new team every game. There are different and unique contests across the different sports, and you can compete for cash payouts. So if you want another fantasy league, you wish you had done one more, you can just do FanDuel. FanDuel is offering users the chance to play free this NFL season. No deposit required. Just sign up, and FanDuel will give you a free 
entry to a contest each week of the football season where you can win real prizes. And for the folks who still want to deposit, FanDuel is offering a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with FanDuel's 20% deposit match. So go to FanDuel.com slash Fantasy or download the FanDuel Fantasy app to play now. FanDuel, more ways to win. And today's episode is also brought to you by Heineken. Heineken would like to remind you that it's time for seasonal beers again. That is right. If you thought a cold, crisp summer Heineken was something, just wait until you taste the Heineken fall lineup. Is it a new product? No. You don't need Heineken to be different because Heineken's perfect the way it is. Just the same great tasting lager. It's perfect for any season. I'm a big frosted mug guy. I always make sure I have mugs in the freezer. Yeah. Because you got to do Heineken the frosted mug. You guys do good frosted <laughs> mugs? That's a great call. I love that. I do. I do. But I also just, I like the Heineken bottles. The green bottles just kind of like, just kind of cool. Maybe Heineken can start making green frosted mugs. Ooh. Let's get on that. We should contact them. Heineken Original Lager is made with pure malt and their famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. So pick up a pack or get it delivered, whatever your style, and please drink responsibly. And we're also brought to you by Subway. Footlong season is at Subway. They make it easy to make a good call on food. So here's a little segment called Bad Call, Good Call, where we'll look at some of the good and bad plays from last week. DK, what's a bad call from this week? Uh, the offensive pass interference on Michael Gallup that could have changed that Sunday night game. What was a good call from this week? DK's prediction on Scotty Miller on the bus. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there yes. you go, DK. Another bad call from last week. Shouldn't they eat three cheeseburgers in the middle of the Lions game? You know what? I was stressed that DeAndre Swift dropped that ball. All right. I was eating in solidarity with him. Not my greatest decision. So this week, why not make a good call instead? Like sweet onion chicken teriyaki footlong from Subway or Black Forest Ham, Veggie Delight, whatever floats your boat. And you can also get a free footlong when you buy two at participating Subway restaurants. That's also a good call. So make some good calls this week, everyone. Order and pay contact-free in the Subway app for quick and easy pickup or delivery on game day or any day. It's footlong season at Subway. Eat fresh, freshly prepared in front of you. All right, let's run through some injuries and some waiver wire people to add for this week. So there was a pretty good amount of injuries. None of them are season-ending, but all of them are in weird places. Mike Evans has a hamstring injury. Michael Thomas had a high ankle sprain, which, again, he suffered in garbage time when the Saints were just trying to run up the score. Marlon Mack tore his Achilles. Le'Veon Bell has a hamstring injury. I guess when he said, my hamstrings are fine. Well, they weren't, so that's a mm. weird situation. Henry Ruggs had a knee injury that looked really bad, and then he came back in the game. Cowboys tight end Blake Jarwin tore his ACL. Devontae Parker has a hamstring pull. I feel like half the league has a hamstring pull. So let's just run through some of these replacements, and we're going to divide them into two camps for each position. We're going to go with streams, who basically people who have value now, and then we're also going to go with stashes for people who might have value later. So let's just start at running back. We already talked about these guys of specifically why we like them, but Naheem Hines, who is going to be the Danny Woodhead, it seems, for this Chargers team, <laughs> and then Malcolm Brown for the Rams. Those are my two biggest pickups of the week. Are there any other running backs you guys would even consider above those two dudes? No one above them, no. But no. mine, right, if What I, if they're gone? I think Jamal Williams on the Packers... Is is a solid ad for next week. I mean, he he played a lot. He had he had eleven touches and um, split a lot of time with Aaron Jones in the first half until the game got kind of got out of hand and then they just kind of pounded the rock with Aaron Jones. But the rookie AJ Dillon that everybody kind of hyped, he played seven percent of the snaps and and clearly that like no preseason hurts him. So Jamal Williams is like involved and is a, like you could use him as a flex this week if you had Marlon Mack as your flex le this week. Did they not see his quads? What the hell? I know. A.J. Dillon, man. We'll I just, see. again, want to point out the Packers 
took a quarterback in the first round and then a running back in the second round that is not their third, second string running back. It's just, that's amazing. You're, yeah. As a rule, the running back you draft should be at least the string on your team. Oh, of, of the round you drafted them? Yes, in? That's, a, that's a good little shorthand rule at the yeah. minimum. So, okay, so I guess we agree. Hines is the first priority you want at running back this week. Brown seems, Malcolm Brown seems to be two or DK, mm-hmm. is there someone else you would take over Malcolm Brown. You know, I think I would throw James Robinson of the Jaguars in there. He looked pretty solid. You know, he didn't get a ton of points. He rushed 16 times, 62 yards, added a 28-yard catch, but he looked pretty spry, man. He was explosive. He had a couple of really um, intriguing-looking runs, and he got 100% of their running back touches, carries. So, he is their guy in the backfield. This is bizarre, because Zigbo is on injured reserve, which is only three weeks. And yeah. then Reichel Armstead is on the COVID list. So we've been trying to guess this backfield, which ironically might be one of the worst in the league. But Robinson's the guy. And he was like the fourth choice. And now he's the starter getting all he's the, the guy. The, it, they were very high on him in the preseason. It was a big part of the reason that they uh, cut Leonard Fournette, apparently. And he looked pretty solid. You know, uh, Chris Thompson was also like threatening to potentially cut into his workload, but he was not really involved. So um, Thompson had two targets, two catches, six yards. So, I mean... You don't really want the lead back in a team that's likely going to be playing from behind a lot, but the Jaguars definitely showed more offensively than I think anyone expected. They're a little bit better than they, than anyone expected. So um, he's one of those guys that if you need a flex option, you know, he's he's definitely, he's going to get a lot of volume. Also, the last running back, I'd be remiss if we just didn't mention him really quickly. Peyton Barber had 17 carries and two touchdowns. Oh, look at that. On Washington. He had 17 carries for 29 yards. For 29 yards. yards. Just want um, to point that out. I just want to point out that Antonio Gibson had, I think, more carries than all but one of his college games and still was not very good, which... which I mean, if again, you watch him, he looked pretty intriguing. He did. He, he They gave more of the carries in the second half to the veteran, though. That was that was for sure, and that was more in line with your call, Danny. So go ahead and take your victory oh. lap on that 17-carry, 29-yard line. <laughs> now I feel like a dick. I was not touting Peyton Barber. I was saying that everyone's going to be real disappointed when Peyton Barber's getting the carries. I'll say Peyton, this. I think if you can add Antonio Gibson, do it above all these guys. Hell yeah. I look hell at... Yeah. Oh, no, no one's... At, Antonio Gibson's not available in any of these leagues. The, my point with Washington and Jacksonville was people are trying to parse these backfields. Both are going to suck. You don't want any of them. It's, it's just like... You know what I mean? It's like you're looking for the best <laughs> yeah. sandwich at a gas station. Get something right. else. Anyway, speaking of that, let's go to receiver. Uh, again, streams, people of value now. Stash, we don't have any stashes for running backs yet, right? Because I feel like all the running backs around like, have value now. So we don't have to go right. to stashes. Yeah. A receiver, though, people who have value now. I got to shout out just receiver. Scotty Miller, DK, you were on Scotty Miller back when the I hype, thought he was The hype Scott. was real. The hype was real, man. Like we, got, we, we saw a lot of preseason hype, like the connection with Tom Brady. Um, and it paid off in, in the game. And, you know, if we see this Buccaneers offense kind of like transition from more of the deep stuff, which we saw week one to, you know, like the Tom Brady style stuff where they're just peppering short stuff over the middle of the field, maybe Scotty Miller even like his role grows. So. And we have to nip one thing in the bud because he's a white slot receiver. Everyone wants to compare him to Wes Welker and Julian Edelman. But it's important to note you were the one who told me Chris Godwin called Scotty Miller the fastest player on the team. Yeah, he's super he's athletic. On offense. He also plays on the outside too, so he's not like purely a slot receiver, but he's very quick and he's like four three speed. So yeah, he's so he's not he's not exactly the Julian Edelman mode of like oh yeah, he grit and grinded his way. No, no he's yeah. So <laughs> right. Scotty Miller to me is the number one guy. I want who else are you guys adding for, if you need a receiver from waivers this week? To what I you think. Saw? I think throwing a dart at Al Lazard or Marquez Valdez Scantling on the Packers is worth it. I know. Yeah. 
Devonte Adams had a hundred targets and ninety catches last week, but there's really no one else to throw to. And Scantling and Lazard both had touchdowns. And if Rodgers keeps us up, which I actually think he will this year, one of those guys is is going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Lazard has been like Rodgers' guy kind of like all offseason. Like he's talking about how much he trusts him. He had four catches, 63, 63 yards and a touchdown. And then MVS kind of came out of nowhere late in the preseason and Rodgers was talking to him up. So absolutely, like... Valdez Scantling is the absolute post-type sleeper this year because everyone was talking about him last year. He didn't pan out. I was talking about him last year. Yeah. So I think that's a great call. The other guy that I think is definitely worth an ad right now, and I think you could even start him as a flex, is Paris Campbell for the Colts. Second round pick for the Colts last year. You know, one of these uh, Ohio State receivers that like didn't really get a lot of love. Like they didn't use him in a lot of different ways and then came into the NFL. People had high expectations. He was injured for most of his rookie year, but... In week one, nine targets, team high. He had uh, seven ca- or six catches for 71 yards plus a nine-yard rush. They were using him on these like deep crossing routes, deep outs. Uh, Philip Rivers had really good like connection with him already. I think he's potential to be one of the breakout receivers this year. And so he's definitely a guy to to grab now. Um, and you know, you could probably play him in a flex and, and at least hold on to him and see how it all kind of like pans out. I think that's a great call, and and that when it comes to the kind of receiver, the second year speedy breakout, it's easy to be like add these people. I'll tell you to cut. I would have him over all, almost all the rookie receivers. Like I want him over. Like I I I I'm probably on an island on this. I would rather have Paris Campbell than like C D Lamb. I'd rather have Paris Campbell than Justin Jefferson because in this off shortened yeah. off season, I want the guys who've had what is it? I'm trying to do math in my head. Eighteen months with their team instead of five. Like just well, Campbell, yeah, Campbell is the legit number two option in this offense. You're talking about CD, who's like three at the best, three or four. Yeah. You know, if you're talking, if you include Zeke, so yeah, I I, I like that one a lot. Uh, you have any stash like for someone in a deeper league who needs a receiver? Yeah, I think Lavisca Chenault for the Jaguars is worth adding now to kind of see how they grow his role. He had a very promising week one, three catches, three seven yards, and a touchdown. A couple, even though he's a rookie, out. and I just shit talked rookie, rookies. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, like, the Jags seem very intent on playing their young guys and kind of, like, building that core. And they and got nothing he, else to do. Yeah, I mean, might as well. And so, you know, I think Minshew showed some confidence in him. They used him in wildcat runs a couple times. If he gets a few wildcat runs in the red zone every game, like, that's potentially really interesting for fantasy. So, um, he was, he was you know, he, he didn't get a ton of volume, but I think he's worth kind of keeping an eye on. All right, tight ends. Who's the tight end you guys are adding this week? Dallas Goddard. He looked awesome. It looks like his, you know, who knows how it goes, you know, going forward, but he looked like, to me, like one of their best players, honestly, one of the Eagles' best players. So um, this could be the beginning of his breakout season. Finally, you know, we've talked about it a few years now, but. Well, I mean, big picture, Travis Kelsey got a huge contract extension. George Kittle got a huge contract extension, like three hours apart which is funny because they also broke a receiving record three hours apart. And then Zach Ertz just is like, what about me? What about mine? And th- this is why. Like, Dallas Goddard clearly is the, the successor to Zach Ertz, and we kind of saw it already. So I like that yeah. a lot. So again, to go through that, qu- well, quarterback, we don't, no, none of the quarterbacks got hurt. I, I would keep, like, if you really need a streamer, like, Mitchell Trubisky, and like, don't watch. But like, and, probably don't or need to a quarterback. Yeah. Or Minch, Gardner Minshew. Minch, yeah, Minshew's the new Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's going to be his career. Yeah. Ah, oh, Minshew oh, Minch oh, only missed like one pass. I'm just well, saying, Jake Rudin, he's, he's going to be the guy who bounces like, around and like his like on like four teams has some good seasons, a couple good fantasy performances, and he's in the league that. for twelve years. Jake yeah. Rudin, underrated offensive coordinator. 
So, all right. Yeah, so, to run through that again, fun. quarterback, if you need someone that's Minshew or Trubisky, if he's short term. If you need a stream, I think we're ranked Naheem Hines for the Colts. He's Danny Woodhead. Malcolm Brown on the Rams. He is the starter, at least for now, on a running heavy team. Uh, James Robinson on the Jaguars. He's the starting running back on a terrible team, but he's a starting running back. Jamal Williams on the Packers. He's the backup, not A.J. Dillon. And then receiver, Scotty Miller, Alan Lazard, and or MVS. Do we have a preference there? Mm. Lazard. Sounded confident. Paris Campbell, that receiver for the Colts. And then if you want to stash someone, LaVisca Chenault for the Jaguars. And then Dallas Goddard, grab him before he's, before he's just gone. And potentially, I know if you listen to this pod before the Monday night game, um, Eric Ebron. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, look for that. That's a good one. And if he gets two catches for 12 yards, then can we retroactively delete things from this pod or no? You we can. Can't. You can. <laughs> I can cut it and then re-upload it, but some people might still have heard it, so we'll see. Okay. Well, I'll leave that to you. But yeah, so the internet we'll never forgets. Yeah. We've done that all the time. I mean, I remember DK was saying that Aunt Russell Wilson was going to have a terrible week this week, and then he went off, and we just retroactively just removed like this 20-minute segment from last week. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, all right. that sounds like Fun facts? Yeah, real quick, want to get to some fun facts that you guys all sent in to us because we appreciate them and they're fun. From Walter Knight, bonus pyramids fact, the last woolly mammoth on Earth died in Siberia hundreds of years after the construction of the Great Pyramid of Giza. This is another what? one of those like mind-blowing things. The, the woolly mammoths were alive for like 500 years after they built the, the Pyramid of Giza. Are you Fact serious? Check this. Yeah, the probably how died. they built them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, the mammoths died around 2000 BC. The Great Pyramid was built circa 2560 BC. So pretty Wait, crazy. what? Yeah. Have we figured out how they figured these things out? Like carbon, like they... I Carbon data or count the... That's wild. <laughs> okay, that's a really good one. Yeah. And then uh, more dinosaur facts from our dinosaur expert, Samuel Guthertz. Uh, he says, regarding T-Rex, because we were making fun of T-Rex for being short. Yes, T-Rex was, yeah. quote, only 12 to 20 feet tall, but that is a misleading stat like Sam Bradford's record-breaking completion percentage. Uh, <laughs> T-Rex was still 40 feet audience. long, a.k.a. the size of a cargo container. The tiger, a tiger... Stands only two to four feet tall, two to four feet tall, by the way. But I'd still be terrified. I'm reading this verbatim, by the way. But I'd still be terrified of coming face to face with one. Also, depending on which you used or which estimate you used, an adult T Rex would have weighed 10 to 15,000 pounds, roughly the size of a bull elephant. Or better so off burger in the offseason. Oh, imagine nice. a cargo container, the weight of an elephant charging at you with five foot jaws that could crush a car. No one was saying we're not afraid of T Rexes. I just want to point that out. <laughs> We were just like, oh, a little bit shorter than we thought. Yeah, they're like Kyler Murray, but you're saying they're thick. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're dumb wide. Thick. Yeah. So they're not Austin Eckler. They're Thicker like they're than a bowl of oatmeal. Yeah. So no, they're bowl MGD. Of oatmeal. What do you mean? Bowl of oatmeal? They're Clyde Edwards, Edwards Hilaire. What the hell does bowl of oatmeal mean? Thick as a bowl of oatmeal. You don't know that meme? Oh, thick as a bowl of oatmeal. I thought you were just yeah. saying bowl. You've never seen that meme of that guy? <laughs> I thought you were. <laughs> The guy in court, and they're like, you quote said she was thick as a bowl of oatmeal, and he like points his fingers, and he's like, yeah, I said that. I was about to be like, let's never explain a meme on a podcast, but you actually explained that well. That was funny. That was good. Yeah. All right. So yeah, those are some more dinosaur facts. Thank you again for those. All right, let's get out of here. Thank you, DK. Thank you, Craig. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to everyone who emailed us. That's ringerfantasyfootball at gmail.com. Send us your bad beats and or fun facts. We'll get to as many as we can. And thank you to the asteroid for killing off the T-Rexes. That sounds really scary.
Thanks to Subway. We made some bad calls and good calls this week, but remember, it's footlong season at Subway, so let's try to keep them mainly good. You can start by grabbing a delicious, freshly prepared footlong with all your favorite toppings and order ahead in the Subway app for contact-free ordering and payment to make pickup or delivery quick and easy. So forget about that fried, greasy food and grab a tasty footlong on game day or on any day because it's footlong season at Subway.